I am the Lord your God, and I am always present with you. This means that everything about me, who I am, and what I can do is always present with you. Learn to trust me and then act on that trust. Too many of my children do not act as though I am present. They act as though they are separated from me and that they must do something that will motivate me to be in their presence. But I'm always available to you. Always. Do not go by your feelings. Do not go by some physical sensation. Accept by faith. I am always with you. I am always available to you. I'm there. Not just when you come together in these services, but all the time, wherever you go, wherever you are, I am with you. Learn to trust faith more than your feelings when it comes to knowing and believing that I am with you. I am always with you. Do not lose this perspective. Grow in it. Grow in it to the place to where you will never again doubt my presence. I am always with you, says the Lord. I want to read something to you and just address this um, because I've seen this more than once on social media, primarily Facebook. That's pretty much the only social media that I deal with. And you've probably seen this as well. And here's what it says. In 1986, David Wilkerson, the late founder of the Times Square Church, that's located in New York City, told Mike Evans, the leading pastor of the Jerusalem Prayer Team, the following, I see a plague coming on the world, and the bars and church and government will shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles, and repentance will be the cry for the man of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. Any of you seen that? Yeah. Uh, well, the church that David Wilkerson founded, Times Square Church, has been contacted on this. And according to the Times Square Church, they stated that they have no record of him ever predicting this in any of his sermons, books, or speeches. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up <laughs> is because, can I be blunt? Of course you can, Brother Martin. Thank you. As the world would put it, I'm sick and tired of reading people jumping on all this kind of stuff and agreeing with it 
liking it, amening it, sharing it, and so forth. It's not true. And it would only take you 30 seconds to check this out. This and everything else that you read on the Internet. Now, the reason that I seem a little vocal about it is because if, if we're going to be pressing into this revival and this outpouring, there has to be a degree of integrity. Now, I'm going to get into this in more detail in another message. But there has to be a degree of integrity. That integrity is grossly missing when you jump on all of these things. And people that I would think, well, I just don't know why people don't check these things out. So much of this stuff is posted, just like people jump on the bandwagon of, you know, the mask thing, the vaccine thing. That I mean, it just goes on and on. Guys, look, I'm asking you, please, don't like anything on the Internet like this, prophecies, whatever, until you check it out, until you dig around. And more than once, this has been debunked, but every now and then somebody posts it, people who shouldn't post it, and part of the reason they do is because they want it to be true. And so therefore, and David Wilkerson, by the way, that man was a prophet. He absolutely was a prophet. But just because he was a prophet doesn't mean he prophesied everything he is said to have prophesied. So I'm just, I'm just using this as, as an example. Odds are you're going to see it again. And uh, when I saw it recently, I thought about posting the link to the evidence that it's not true. But I thought, you know what? I just don't feel like being the voice crying in the wilderness at this time. Not on that one. Because there were too many people on there, some people that I know and respect, I didn't want to do it and take a chance on making them look like fools. So, and I'm sorry if you find that offensive. I don't mean to be offensive. But folks, please, listen. If I were lost and I saw all this kind of stuff going on, I'd think you people are a bunch of idiots. Do you believe in Santa Claus too? What about the Easter money? <laughs> Some of the kids are saying, what? <laughs> now, seriously, I'm not trying to be offensive. Uh, but there has to be integrity. And part of that integrity includes not grabbing hold of everything you read on the Internet, everything on social media, I agree, I like, repost, so on, just, just don't. Just don't. Just check it out. It's simple. Just spend five minutes checking it out. I'm doing this for your own good. And you say, well, I don't know what. What do you mean my own good? You're witnessing to somebody. And that person says, wait a minute. You're telling me all this stuff about Jesus, but aren't you the one? Didn't I see you post such and such and blah, blah, and that's none of it is true? It's, it's 
proven it's not true, but you said it was? Why should I believe you about Jesus when you can't even get your facts straight about who dug a hole in your backyard? Now, I don't know anything about holes in backyards. I'm just saying that. <laughs> like it or not, if you're born again, there is pressure on you to be different from the world. <laughs> Every now and then I post things that sound like hoaxes, and they ought to be hoaxes, like Harvard University. All of the on-staff chaplains, 40 of them unanimously elected an atheist to be over the chaplaincy at Harvard University. It That should be a hoax. <laughs> but it's true. True. But that's the world we're living in. Common sense is disappearing. Well, it's been disappearing for a long time. It's, but don't let it disappear on you. You know, what's the Bible talk about? A, a sound mind? Um, that doesn't mean a, a mind that's making a bunch of noise. I mean, <laughs> stable. <laughs> stable. Uh, please turn to Luke chapter 14. You see, one of the reasons that I, um, I mean, this is an issue with me. This reposting of hoaxes and not checking things out. It is an issue. And I don't mind that. And if you think, well, I think, you know, Pastor Jim, I think you're a little overboard. But I'm not. I'm not because when you grab a hold of the hoaxes and you go with it. And you make it, you come across as though you believe it. You need to understand it discredits your testimony for Christ. You know, if you believe all this, then how do I know you don't believe all the other? So, this is why it's so sad that in the body of Christ, we just assume we can live sinless, but gullible. And just go along with everything. As long as I don't smoke, drink, chew, you know, do nasty things, then I'm okay. I can be like everybody else. No, you can't. See, that's just it. You can't. You have to be different. You have to exemplify Christ in everything about your life. Everything. The way you act. The way you dress. The way you communicate with people. And you got to put up with crap in life, whether you like it or not. That's just the way it is. Because you have a testimony to protect. And you don't know but what the day is coming that you, you right in front of your eyes, you see a car wreck. And you think, oh no. So you get out. And, and there's somebody laying on the road. And I mean, they're hurt bad. Really bad. Blood, I mean, it's bad. And you think, man, this person looks like they may be dying. And you, you try to minister to them. And they look at you and they say, I remember you. You were at the mall the other day and you did such and such. Yeah, I remember you. I remember what you said. I remember which finger you pointed at me when I cut in front of you in traffic. I remember how you talked to your boss. I remember, I remember, I remember. 
And those are the last words out of their mouth before they die and go into eternity. Is that, is that what you want on you? I'm not trying, guys, look. There is a standard that has to be maintained when you are a Christian. This is part of what we're calling revival. This is part of this call to righteousness and holiness in our living. And man, you got Christians out there that they don't even know if they believe the Bible. Well, you know what? Then don't you be hanging around me. And what I mean by that is, I'm not going to get into a debate with you. I'm just going to keep telling you, here's what the Bible says, here's what the Bible says, here's what the Bible says. You don't want to believe it? Don't. You're going to believe whatever you want anyhow. But I do know this. If it weren't for God's Word, you wouldn't even be here today. How do you figure? Because in the beginning, God created. (laughs) That's where it started. Now, we have been, over the years, pressing in a direction that I'm not so sure any of us have been prepared for. Now, I'm, me too now, alright? And it's a, a place of, um, decision. That's a good way to put it. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I reached a crossroads in life. You know, Yogi Berra used to say, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> We have been pressing in a direction that I don't think any of us have truly understood or truly been ready for. But we're getting there. We're getting closer and closer. We're we're there. We're in the atmosphere of it. I don't I'm not sure how to explain this. But we're there. And it's a place of um you know, some people would say, you know, put up or shut up. That's where we are. Because, you know, when Jesus was ministering, and he's teaching, doing a great job, and then these people say, well, you know, that's too hard. Who can hear it? Who can understand that? Who can receive what he's saying? Blah, blah, blah. And a bunch of them left. And the Bible says they followed him no more. Well, you know what? He still went to the cross for them. Now, I don't know if any of them got saved after the fact, but he still went to the cross for them. For us, if you really believe, I mean really believe, that Jesus is coming back, and if you really believe that this world is falling apart, now, I don't mean in a physical sense, although it is, but just all the stuff that's going on. Lunacy is controlling too much in every country. I mean, I don't know how many countries there are. Maybe some countries aren't greatly impacted by lunacy. I don't know. But I know this, what I read about other nations, it's like, how many of you remember many years ago, there was a movie that came out back in the 60s. 
It was a whole, it was hilarious. It was called, it's a mad, 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 mad world. It would, I, that movie is so funny, clean, so funny, but boy, does it describe now. People are doing things and you, it didn't make any sense. Well, the reprobate mind, the delusion, God's warned ahead of time. This is what's going to happen. We have to be at a place of stability because instability is taking over the world. Okay. He was sharing something with me. The Lord was sharing something with me during praise and worship. Reminded me of it again. Second time now since I've been up here. I'll pass it along. All this stuff that's going on over there in Afghanistan and the Middle East. Now hear me. You've already read about it in the pages of the Old Testament. The only thing that's different are some of the weapons that are being used. That's it. Otherwise, it's the same thing. When the Ammonites invaded, when the Moabites invaded, when Babylon invaded, it's no different. It's the same thing. What they did to people back then is what's being done to people now. There is no difference. And it's amazing how we kind of have this idea that, well, my goodness, this kind of stuff's never happened before. No, it has. People were being cut up, chopped up, and their heads cut off and everything else back then. There is no difference. People aren't going to change. That's why we see the book of Revelation transpiring the way it is. Instability is governing this world. You say, oh no, Jesus is Lord. Really? Seriously? Who who convinced you of that? If Jesus was truly Lord and in charge, do you think we'd have the problems in the Middle East we're having right now? Come on. But see, what's happened is this. We as Christians have been told, Jesus is in Lord, is Lord. God is in charge. If God were truly in charge and Jesus was truly the Lord, we'd be living in a happy world. <laughs> but it's not like that. Jesus is Lord in the kingdom of God. Jesus is Lord in your life and my life if we let him. Jesus is Lord in every church that lets him, but he's not Lord of the world system. He just not. And body of Christ has got you got to wake up and see this. What's what's really weird? And let me kind of help you understand this whole thing of Jesus is Lord. I understand what the Bible says about Jesus being Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But not every knee is bowing and not every tongue is confessing now. You follow me? He's not. But this whole Jesus is Lord and God is is in charge, that has been a oh a numbing drug to the, the the mental system of the body of Christ. Because what it means is now I know this it doesn't apply to every Christian, I understand that. But what happens is when we accept that It's almost like we then sit back and just wait. 
Well, you know, Jesus is Lord, and the world's going to know it. You just wait. Well, how are they going to know it? Between now and the time he comes back, (laughs) they'll know it then, yeah. But between now and then, how are they going to know? How? Here's how. It's you. (laughs) It's me. It's everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why there, there has to be a standard. Here in Luke chapter 14. Just pick this up. In, uh, pick it up in verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with Jesus, now there's a, there's a, a party going on here, alright? And when one of them that sat at meat, or at the meal, with Jesus, heard these things, He said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he, Jesus, said unto him, Now you got it, now hold on here, and you've got to get the image of this. There are a bunch of people in this room. How many? I don't know. But there are a bunch of people in this room. One man makes that statement. Now, in that room, this man didn't whisper. He would not have leaned over to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus! Blessed is he that he's bred in the kingdom of God. Now, this guy would have said this, and, and there would have been people around, Pharisees and whoever, yes, amen, yes, amen. And so Jesus turns and he looks at this guy, and he begins talking to him. When in reality, he's talking to the whole bunch. You understand this? Okay, that in mind. Then said he unto, us, unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bad many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they, with all one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Okay, now I can... I understand, at least nowadays, there are people who buy property and they've never seen it. Now, most of us in here wouldn't do that. But some people, I guess, when they're in that kind of business, they, they buy things and they go check it out. Well, I understand this this fellow that bought the ground and got to go check it. And then the thing about the oxen. Well, the guy bought the oxen and now he's got to make sure that, you know, they're going to be able to pull the plow correctly. All right, well, I understand that. Then this other one, he says, verse 20, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. In other words, you don't want to take her to the dinner. Come on now. (laughs) So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower... Sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. 
lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great great way off, he sendeth ambassadors, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I'm sure you noticed I skipped verse 25. That's because what he can, what he says in verse 26 is continuing an idea first established between verses 15 through 24. Now let's take a look at this. Jesus says there's a man who's made a great supper. Now the word great here, it comes from the Greek word, Greek word megas, M-E-G-A-S. It's the word from which we get mega. Now, this word megas, it means incredibly large, opulent, fantastic, incredible, superb, superior, amazing. Uh, I mean, just all of those kinds of words you can think of. And because it's associated with the word supper, which means meal, this is talking about a meal the likes of which you're going to make your eyes pop open and, and your jaw drop. And this can't happen unless the person preparing this meal or, you know, making sure it's ready is really wealthy and has the money to do this. And he has to have a huge banquet hall to be able to invite all these people. And so this man says he's incredibly wealthy and he either owns or has rented a really large facility. And he is, it says he made a great supper. Now, obviously, the imagery is he would have had the caterers and whoever else come in, and they fix this meal. And so you're going to have the best of the best when it comes to New York Strip. When it, com- <laughs> when it comes to, you know, prime rib, when it comes to filet mignon, when it comes to, uh, you know, chicken, when it comes to fish, I'm sorry, there won't be any any bacon or pork chops. All right, this is this is a Jewish story, okay? <laughs> but you're going to have the best mashed potatoes and corn and green beans and gravy and rolls. Um, you, you got the image. And then for dessert, homemade pies. They've gathered in all the grandmas in the area, and they've made their homemade apple pie, peach pie, rhubarb, strawberry. I mean, on and on and on it goes. There's never been a feast like this. Well, then this guy, it says, he invites many, but he doesn't charge. He just invites them to come. And then we have somebody here who says, well, yeah, I appreciate the invitation, but I bought some property. I have to go check it out. Excuse me. We're talking about Mr. Billionaire who is inviting you to a meal the likes of which you've never had before. And you don't have to pay for it. 
And if you don't have a tie, don't even worry about it. All right? Just all you have to do is show up and eat. That's it. It's not going to cost you anything. And then the one other fellow, he says, well, you know, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and, and i got to make sure they're properly trained to pull the plow. And so, you know, wait a second. <laughs> you can't try the oxen the next day. I mean, you could go with your buddy and check his ground tomorrow, and then the two of you go and, and play with the oxen. The next, I mean, you're telling me you can't do this? And then the guy with the wife? Seriously? He's not going to tell his wife they've been invited to a meal like that? This guy's got a lot to learn about marriage. <laughs> do you have any idea what she's going to do to you when she finds out? <laughs> well, you know, the, the master here, the boss, he gets pretty upset about this. And he says, look, just keep inviting people. They can all come. It's okay. Because I want my house filled. And he says, notice 24, none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Okay, now, we need to look at this differently from the way it's been preached so many times. I want this meal, but I cannot eat the meal if I don't go to where the table is set. You follow me? Now, the reason these fellows didn't go is because in their mind, a meal prepared by a billionaire who's got the money to buy the absolute best of everything, that's appealing, but this ground that I purchase and going to look at it is of more benefit to my life right now than that meal. Even though I can check that, 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 that land out the next day or the day after or next week, even though I could do that, but right now, I perceive Visiting my property to be of more value to my life than the greatest meal I've ever had. Likewise, like this other fellow here, likewise with him. He says, I perceive, I decide that being around stinky, smelly oxen is of more value in my life than going to a meal that is going to be the best meal I've ever had and may ever have again. This is it. And then the other fellow, he says, and this is really this is the worst excuse of them all, I perceive that staying home with my family, and it's his wife, I know, it just says his wife, I perceive that staying home with my wife and not even telling her about this feast is of more value to my life. I benefit more by staying with her this one day as opposed to going to this feast and taking her with me. Now think about this. 
Those are just three examples. Jesus could have gone on and on with more examples. He's trying to get people to understand something. How that these folks made a decision that a something else was better for them, of more benefit to them, of greater value to them than going to this feast. Knowing full well it was going to be good when they got there. But they decided this other means more to me. Now, I cannot speak for every church. But I can speak for this one, the prayer center in Immokalee, the prayer center in Tulsa. And I can say that in every one of our services, every single one, no exception, a meal from the table of the Lord is prepared. Every single service. No exceptions. None. Each meal is different, though. You know, one might be a meal of, uh, you know, New York Strip preaching. Another meal might be a meal of, um, you know, stuffed chicken breast teaching. Another meal might might be, I don't know, we'll leave the fish out of this. But another meal might be <laughs> the absolute best pizza you could ever have. How many would you like to guess what pizza? See, we are in unity. <laughs> the absolute best pizza pepperoni and sausage and all that. The best pizza of worship that you could have. Follow me? Well, Brother Martin, I'm a vegetarian. Okay, it's the best teriyaki-flavored tofu burgers you have ever had. Good heavens. Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, ew, that's gross. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But here's the thing. The reason, when people go out to eat, The reason they choose one restaurant over another is because at that moment they perceive restaurant number one is of greater value to their life than restaurant number two. So, you know, church is over. Like, okay, well, where are you going for lunch? Well, you know, we're going to go to McDonald's. McDonald's? Why don't you go over here to the Oakwood Club? Oh, well, we we can't afford the Oakwood Club. You know, McDonald's is all we can afford this week. Oh, okay. Now, the reason you don't go to the Oakwood Club is because money. You go to McDonald's because in your mind you perceive that at this point in time in your life, McDonald's is the better choice for your life because of the money. You understand this? And likewise, you might say, well, we could go to McDonald's or we could go to the Oakwood Club. However, um, we got to be somewhere in 20 minutes, so we're just going to hit the drive-through at McDonald's. So even though financially you could go to the Oakwood Club, or to Longhorn, or to wherever your favorite steak place or favorite tofu place is, you could go. But because of the time limitations, you perceive that the best choice for my life right now is the drive-through at McDonald's, 
or Burger King or wherever. The reason people don't come to this church or any other church that's truly serving from the table of the Lord is because they perceive something else as having a greater value and benefit to their lives on a particular day. Well, I was there last week. Well, I know, but we missed you this week. Where were you? Well, you know, they were having a a fabric seminar at the mall. And, you know, my wife and I, we like to make things, so we went to that. Or they, they were having a woodworking demonstration over here at such and such. Or, or they were having, you know, a classic car show, you know, cars from the 1920s over at this other place. Or they were having, and on and on it goes. Well, you know, uh, they were having a birthday party for my second cousin's son's daughter-in-law's niece or something like that. I don't But they were having a birthday party. So, you know, we went to that birthday party. Or here's one. Here's one. What's well, because um, my brother and his wife were taking their new baby to their church for its baptism. Seriously? Seriously. You're going to give your stamp of approval to a religious system that denies the Lordship of Jesus Christ, His blood, salvation through Him alone? Seriously? You're going to do that? Well, Brother Martin, I don't appreciate your tone. No. Listen. I'm glad you don't. Because it means you're starting to understand something. That's why some people aren't here right now. They'd rather, they perceive there's a greater value to their life to be doing the whatever. Well, you know, I worked hard this week and, I, you know, we, I just thought, you know, our, take the kids, we go down here to the lake. Or we go down here to the amusement park. Or we go down, or we do. How do you get Greater value out of that. Brother Martin, you're preaching legalism. No, I am preaching commitment to Jesus Christ. Remember that lordship thing we were talking about earlier? And he says right here, look, this is why what he continues in verse 26, what he says and begins in verse 26, it's not really a beginning, it's a continuation of a point he's trying to make. He's saying, look, (laughs) you can't be my disciple If you love your plot of ground more than me, you can't be my disciple if you love your oxen more than me. You can't be my disciple if you love your wife more than me. That's what he says right here, verse 26. If you come to me and you don't hate, not word hate, don't, don't, don't be thinking hate like the world calls it hate. If you, if you come to me and you don't hate your father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yea, your own life also, you can't be my disciple. So see, he's continuing what I just said there. We, we talk about, we want an outpouring. We talk about, we want revival. We talk about this. But guys, we're not in it. What I mean is, <clears throat> we kind of just sit back and are expecting God to do something. 
And we'd rather be out here on a Sunday playing with our car, playing with the, the beach, playing with... Hey, no, don't. Don't be thinking that I'm saying you cannot go on vacation. I'm not saying that's not what we're talking about here. You know exactly what's going on. And this goes back to the whole thing of integrity. You know, if you were as faithful to your job as some people are to church, you'd have been fired a long time ago. How come you weren't at work yesterday? Well, you know, they were having a quilting seminar down. (laughs) Seriously? Your boss might give you one warning. You do that again, you're going to be fired. And you know what? Some, based on the way they do church, they do it again. Then, after they get fired, they fuss and complain and post nasty stuff about their boss. The way they treat me down there. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad they fired me. I was thinking about quitting anyway. Yeah, right. Then you go belly aching to the church because you don't have money to pay your bills. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what's this, what, what's it come down to? Where is our passion? Where is it? Because if your passion is your hobby, then you know what? That's what you're going to do. And when you are faced, I'll be ta- I guarantee you this is true now. There are going to be times you'll be faced with another like. Whatever that is. All right? You'll be faced with another like. Or being at the table of the Lord. And you, you really want to go with the like. Well, what are you going to do? See, when Jesus said, I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper, it's what he's saying here is, if you avoid the table of the Lord, what makes you think you're going to receive what was set be- what was going to be set before you in the first place? It's, it's almost like we think we don't have to be there to be a part of this, but somehow we'll absorb it. You know, I can, I can stay home because well, you know, the bed's nice and warm and comfy and, man, it, it's cold here in the middle of January. I don't want to get out of bed. That floor is cold. I don't want to put my feet on it. I'm just going to, you know what? God knows. He understands what I'm going through. God, hey, yeah, some of you out there, you got that look on your face like, oh, that's me. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah, all right. Well, welcome to the crowd. Yeah, but pastor, you're the pastor. You have responsibilities. Oh, thank you for reminding me. I wasn't always a pastor. You do realize that, don't you? What I'm talking about here this morning, I'm telling you, is a main reason why some people are never being moved forward by God in their calling. If you can't take your walk with Christ seriously now, what makes you think that's going to change later on? And you need to understand, I'm, I'm on me too here in this. Because I'm having to sit back and evaluate myself. What's my passion? What is it really? You know, we talk so much about, um, there's a coming outpouring. There's a coming revival. That's all well and good. I can read the book of Revelation. I can say, well, our stuff coming. 
But the problem is, if we keep looking for something that's coming, then what we're saying is there is a something that is not here now. And we ignore the now move of God. We keep looking for something to happen, keep waiting. So then the question is that, um, you know, we keep looking ahead for an event and not participating with God for the now. So then what is God doing now? What's he doing now? And I'm guessing that some of you here, guys, look, you have to understand I'm not casting stones. Remember earlier I said, all these years we've been headed in a direction that I don't think too many of us were prepared for. Okay, this is part of it. The confrontation between us and ourselves. <laughs> what is God doing now? And if I were to ask you, now, and, and, and I could convince you, oh, God is moving. Don't, don't, don't be giving me those answers. No, you tell me, what is God doing now? Here, what is He doing? Could you answer that? Well, maybe you could. I don't know. Possibly. But I mean, really, could we define that beyond we're believing for revival? Okay. Part of revival is the preparation. Do you really not think that there is some kind of a move of God taking place now? Well, there is. The thing is, if we keep staying away from the table of the Lord, we're not going to absorb it. I mean, he's not going to send an angel and... and Okay, notice this guy says here in verse 24, None of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. In other words, no take home. No doggy bag after the fact. You're either here or you're not. And if you're not, guess what? No food for you. You don't get it. And there are a lot of people who think, well, I can stay home and, and, and I can, you know, interact with God too. Well, yeah, you can. I would never tell you you can't. But you'll notice the invitation was everybody is welcome at the table. But the people who don't show up will not feast from what is set. It's not going to happen. And I'll tell you another thing, it can be too easy, far too easy, for people to say, well, you know, this couch is comfy. I don't feel like getting up. I mean, look, just turn on the streaming. We'll just watch from home. When that becomes the excuse, guess what? You might get bologna instead of steak. What I'm talking about is God knows your heart. And he knows if you're just using that as an excuse. He knows it. And don't think you can fool God. Because you can't. Are there legitimate reasons for not being here? Well, sure. Pastor, I, you know, you're, make, you're condemning me with all this. I mean, I just had a heart transplant two weeks ago, and you're telling me I'm supposed to be back in church. No, stay home till you're ready to leave. <laughs> okay? Well, let's not get weird on this. But see, as I'm standing here sharing all of this, I can think back on my own life and excuses that, that I used. And every one of you in here, 
You can relate to this. All of you. There's no exception here. All of us. Well, see, that's where we're going to have to sit down and deal with ourselves. See, God is wanting us to be sold out now. God is wanting us... Oh, You know, some people will take this message and run with it, and some people will take this message and run from it. And there's nothing I can do. All I can do is present this to you, because, yeah, it's challenging. And some people are going to say, well, he stomped on our toes again. Guys, how many of you had to make your kid sit down to learn how to tie their own shoes? No, you're going to learn to tie this shoe. No, get back here. No, you're going to you're going to learn how to wash these dishes. You're going to learn and you had to deal with your kids that way. There's a time and a place for this. And God's wanting us to wake up. Look, we need to understand not every church is going to press into this. Not every church is open to an outpouring. Not every church is open to revival. They're just not. And so God is taking what He can. He's using what is made available to Him. Another way to say it is, He's feeding those who will come to the table of the Lord. And if you don't show up, you don't show up. Now don't be thinking that, you know, I'm trying to lay some heavy, heavy guilt trip on you. I'm not, but look, you know, as they say, if the shoe fits, wear it. So I don't know about each one of you. I, I, I don't know. I'm, but I know enough to be able to say this and know that I'm right. Look over in um, Luke chapter 11. You know, we, as far as an outpouring is concerned, I want think about this. Praying in tongues is actively interacting with the power of God. Do you understand that? You cannot pray in tongues unless the power of God is moving on you to do so. Because that gift and that language comes from who? The Holy Spirit, right? You know that. So therefore, when I'm praying in tongues, I am actively interacting with the power of God. And what's happening is, it is, it is a release of God's power through my mouth, in the same way God released His power in Genesis chapter 1. It's no different, except we're not creating a universe, or planets, or animals, or whatever else. We're not doing that. But we're interacting with the power of God when we pray in tongues. This is why, just I mean, we're just focusing at this moment on the praying in tongues. This is why it's so critical for us to do this. And there are times here, in this church, where it's been, you know, let's pray in the Spirit. And quite frankly, I'm not so sure you're all doing this. And then there are times when we're encouraged, folks, let's sing in the Spirit. And I'm not so sure you're all doing this. And my question is, why not? Why would you not do this? What is wrong? Because if we are encouraged to do these things, that's something being served up at that moment from the table of the Lord. So, 
when we're encouraged, let's all pray in the Spirit for a bit. Let's all, let's all sing in the, in the Spirit for a bit. And then we don't do it? Do you realize you're telling God, I want nothing to do with your power at this moment. There is greater benefit for me to sit here with my mouth sealed shut than there is for me to interact with your power. That's terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Think, think of this now. How many times, I mean, just kind of think about what you've read in Scripture. How many times can you think of from the Bible where God has moved absent the involvement of people? How many times? We've never seen an outpouring of God on camels. We, we've never seen an outpouring of God on dolphins. I know that's silly, but you know what I'm talking about. How many times have we seen in Scripture a move of God absent the involvement of people? People are all other okay, Genesis chapter one, I get it. But then from that point on with people. You see this? So what that means is God there's no questioning he'll move. But he's in heaven saying, Here I am. Here's the table. What do you want? Here in Luke chapter 11, look at this. In verse 1, And it came to pass, as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus says, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. The people that asked him to teach them how to pray weren't Gentiles. These were Jews raised in synagogues, raised in Jewish school. The point I'm making is, they've been around prayer. Do you understand this? They've heard people pray. But there's a difference. They see something happening in Jesus' life they've never seen in Rabbi Bob's life. They're seeing something happen through Jesus they've never seen in any priest, any Pharisee. They've never seen ever, anywhere, anyone, period. And so, they're thinking, okay, you separate yourself and you pray, and then you go out, blind eyes are open, legs are healed, demons are cast out. There must be something different about the way you pray as opposed to the way we've heard the the Pharisees and everyone else. He says, okay, I'll fill you in a little bit. And then he says in verse 5, now he's still teaching them about prayer. He says, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey, is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. 
because of his nagging, because he won't stop pounding on the door, because he won't go away and leave him alone, because he just won't stop bugging me, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, and I say unto you, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Now wait a minute, the guy behind the door wasn't going to give anybody squat. Leave me alone. And, 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 you know, I will give you what you need, just, now listen, I'll give you what you need, just go away from me. Leave me alone. See that? And Jesus says, however, you, you have asked me how to pray. I'm telling you how to pray. And I say unto you, if you want to know how to pray, Here's how you do it. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask for an egg? Okay, what is the bread, the fish, the egg? Food. See that? If ye ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? See this? He's still teaching about prayer. When he switched over to the guy behind the door, he never stopped teaching about prayer. He's still teaching about prayer. Now, to try and paraphrase this quickly. Jesus is saying, you guys have always heard it said, keep praying and keep bugging God until finally he gets in the mood to do something. Because he really doesn't like it when you hang around. He doesn't like you irritating him. But that's this is how you fellows have heard it said. But I'm telling you, this is not how God works. You've asked me how I pray. You've asked me to teach you how to pray. Because you see something different in the results of my prayers from what you see in the prayers of others. This is what you've heard all your life. Just keep banging on the door. Sooner or later, maybe God will give in. But what I'm telling you is this. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you're going to find. Knock, it'll be opened unto you. And not only that, whoever asks, receives, he that seeks, finds, and him that knocketh, it shall be opened. In other words, Jesus is saying, fellas, this is how I pray. I go to the Father and I ask and it is given to me. Okay, well, what is it that is given to him? The bread, the fish. The egg. What is that? <laughs> remember what Jesus, remember the blind fellow? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus walks over to him. Well, no, he says, bring him to me. They bring the guy to him. He's blind. And Jesus says, now, now here, now catch this image here, all right? Jesus says, hello, my name is Jesus. I'll be serving you from the table of the Lord today. What would you like? I want my vision. Oh, okay. Well, let's see here. Ah, 
There we go. We have the vision egg right here. We have the vision bread right. Are you following this? How could he do that? Because he spent time at the table of the Lord. And he, he had what was necessary to minister to the need. Now when he says, you know, if you being evil know how to give the good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now here's the deal. I, you know, a lot of folks have grown up believing that what this means is, you pray to get the Holy Ghost so you can speak in tongues. Well, okay, yeah, but do you think it stops there? Remember, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, okay, first off, you got to be sure things are right between you and God. You know, the forgiveness and so forth. But then, let me draw a contrast for you boys and any ladies that happen to be there. <clears throat> Here's the way you've heard it. But I'm telling you, your Father God is not like that guy behind the door. He's waiting for you to come. Because He has a table set for everything that you need. And, I, and fellas, in closing, I want to tell you this. You're evil, and you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Do you realize what Jesus is telling them? He's saying, okay, remember Jesus? He's in the wilderness. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, he comes out of the water. He's baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes into the wilderness, comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Ghost. All right, now think. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says that God anointed Jesus with what? The Holy Spirit and power who went about healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus, right here, they're saying, teach us how to pray. And he's saying, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And keep in mind, even though you, you do, fellas, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? What He's saying is, Jesus is revealing His reliance on the Holy Spirit to accomplish everything He did here on earth. He's telling you, when I'm spending time in prayer with the Father, I realize the power source is the Holy Spirit. And that's why I, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one going to the cross for you, I spend time at the table of the Lord to receive from God through the Holy Spirit what I need, the nourishment, what I need to go out and do the will of God, which is get the blind eyes open, get the, get the deaf ears open, get the lame, kicked out the, the, the devils and, and all this other, and then go to the cross and complete the work down here. He said, this is why I do this. This is, is how you need to pray. You need to pray in faith. We need the bread. If the illustration now, we need the bread to minister to the needs of others. And the Holy Spirit is the one who administers the bread to us so that we in turn can minister to others. But guys, if we're just leaving him out of the formula and you say, well, yeah, but I can pray in tongues at home and, and I can get the same results. No, you can't. You'll get results. But forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Do you understand? God is in His Word. He's making it very clear. 
There is a reason for you to come together. There is, yes, the private time away, you know, the, the, the car prayer time, the bedroom praying time, the bathroom praying time, all of that is valuable. All of that is beneficial. And yes, you're receiving from God. But there is a time to come together as a congregation. There's a time to come together. You're supposed to do this. This is the plan of God. To knit the congregation together in the outpouring for the revival, for His move, so we are used in unity with God by the Holy Spirit to serve up the bread to the people who need it. And we've got people in this church who do not value this. Well, yeah, but you're the pastor. You know, you've got to be here. I've got news for you. If I weren't the pastor... I'd be here. Because I learned a long time ago, I learned decades ago, the value and the need for me to be in the house of God to feast at the table of the Lord. I've never dismissed that. Well, I can't say never. But it's always been a value to me to do this. You know, Jesus said, you'll receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Look over. We'll close with this. John chapter 16. You know, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming in John 14, verses 16 through 17, verse 26, and so forth. And we're not going to go back and review all of this. We're just going to look here in John chapter 16, in verse 7. Now look at this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now this teaching in in chapter 16, it started a, a few chapters before this. But he says, nevertheless, it's almost like he's saying, I I want to repeat this. I want to remind you of this. I tell you the truth. It is expedient, important, critical for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Why is that important? Because he's been with you, but he shall be in you. If I go away, you then can have him in you by virtue of being born again and subsequently filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he is come. Now, wait a minute. Jesus just said, now now listen to this. In chapter 14, Jesus said, He's with you, but shall be in you. Now He's saying, when He is come. So there is a difference in His, the Holy Spirit's post-resurrection coming as compared to His present at that time being there. Does that make any sense? Here's why. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of that to go on. Remember now, this is kingdom. Kingdom truth. There was no kingdom available to the people at this time. He couldn't convict people of their need to be born again. They couldn't be born again. In verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He says, I have many things, uh, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. I want you to see the imagery in this relative to this message today. Jesus says, I'm leaving. The kingdom's going to be available to you. And not only is the kingdom going to be available to you, so you can be born again and so forth, but you can also be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
But once this happens, the Holy Spirit is then the one that takes everything associated with me and presents it unto you. Look at this image. He says, he glorify, he'll glorify me, he'll receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. In other words, the Holy Spirit, and let me say it this way, don't mean to be disrespectful, the Holy Spirit is the waiter at the table of the Lord. You see this? And so he takes the kingdom truth, the bread, the, you know, the, the fish, the egg, he takes all of this, and he begins serving this up to us through truth, through prayer, through fellowship with Him. And then, if we're at the table, we then can receive it and go from there. The other night, I might have been this past Sunday night, or the whenever. It wasn't too long ago. Jamie was ministering, and uh, there was this, this time, this pause, waiting, waiting, and Jamie shared, there's somebody here, you you know, it's a word. Nobody said anything. And then, we moved on from that point. What God wanted to deliver through that person never got delivered. Never. The Holy Spirit was wanting to serve from the table of the Lord through that, through that individual. And, and, and there was a time, and I don't remember if it was that specific time, or another one, but it had to do with the fact that God wanted to do something, but it appeared as though the person who was to be the recipient of what God wanted to do was not here. And you can say, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, they can still, whatever it was, God could do it wherever they are. Okay, let me ask you something. When, um, who was that? Naaman? It was told to dip in the Jordan. Okay. Remember his argument? There are clean water rivers all over the place. Why would the man of God tell me to go dip in this filthy, stinking Jordan River to be healed? Why? And then Naaman's servant, he says, Now boss, if he had told you to do something incredible, like get on TV or what, I mean, wouldn't you have done that? Naaman said, well, yeah. He goes, okay, so, so what? I mean, just, just go down there and dip. I mean, you know, who's, who's gonna see you? Alright, fine. So he went down and he dipped in the dirty, stinking, gross, disgusting, polluted Jordan River. And guess what? He was healed. In other words, God's plan was that specific river at that specific time for that specific person. See that? That was the will of God. How many times have we missed the will of God because, well, we just decided I'd rather, you know, go over here to the woodworking show. I'd rather go over here to the, you know, special watch paint dry convention. I'd rather go over to my grandparents' house and watch the grass grow. How many times have we missed on the will of God? Because, see, in the body of Christ, so many times we've been kind of misled into thinking, well, if it's the will of God, it doesn't matter where you are. No, it does. It matters. What is our passion? Now, I'm going to close with this. 
Now, I've mentioned things like this before, and I'm bringing it up again because God brought it up to me <laughs> to bring it up to you. And I'm one of the you. Take a hard look at your life, all of us, and begin getting your, when I say your, me too here, okay? Begin getting your life schedule prepared for more congregational seeking and intercession. Other than the legitimate need-tos of life, and the quilting bee is not a need-to, all right? Yeah, but my mom and my sisters and I, every year we go to the quilting thing. So then you're telling me every year you let your family rob you of what could be a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is talking about over there in Luke. Other than the legitimate need-tos, we have to develop and live a flexible life schedule so that we can easily rearrange to be here. I mean, seriously, Saturday doesn't always have to be the grocery day. Other days can be gross. Yeah, but Tuesday is laundry day. What? Make another day laundry. Or do do a couple of loads on Tuesday and, and do... No, 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 I can't do it on Thursday. Why not? Well, well, Thursday's cutting the grass day. Well, if it rains on Thursday, you're not going to be cutting the grass. Do you see what I'm getting at? We cannot be so rigid and inflexible that they become the ground we have to test and the oxen we have to prove and the wife we have to keep happy. <laughs> taking her to the meal would keep her happier. (laughs) All right. This is what we have to do. And if we don't do this, why should we expect a greater outpouring of God? Why should we expect to truly be used in revival? You know, where is our passion? And it may not be what it's supposed to be. I'm not saying we don't love God, but that passion... That passion. And, and it's probably not, no, I'll say this, I'm pretty confident, it's not where it needs to be in us. But it can be. It can be. We have to press into God and desire it, and it'll happen. You know, we've. I have really, you know, I'm not going to belabor this point, but here over the last, you know, like three months, there's been a real attack stealing my time and the finances of the church. Two computers have acted up. One had to be replaced. Uh, five printers have acted up. Two of them had to be replaced. Now, th- this is not normal. It's just not normal. Um... Two nights in a row, someone tried to break into our garage. They were successful Friday night. Thankfully, it was weird. Nothing was stolen. Um, Other garages were broken into. What I'm getting at is this. There are things that happen that rob you of your time. But we cannot allow those to become an excuse to not do anything. 
Well, I didn't get things done. <laughs> Perfect example. I didn't get things done yesterday because I had to sit around and wait for the police to come. Then I had to sit around and wait for the evidence technician to come. And, and the first policeman, he was there. Then all of a sudden he gets an emergency call and he has to leave. Got to sit around and wait for him to come back. Then the emerge, then the, the evidence person shows up and he's got to do his thing. And so, so you know what? Yesterday was a stinky day for me. And, uh, I, I think I'm just going to regroup today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All that. Listen, you say, oh, pastor, that'd be a bad example to the rest of us. You know what? What if that were you? Well, I mean, seriously, would that have been the reason? Not to be, well, I didn't get the laundry done. Okay, you're telling me you don't have any clean clothes at all. None. Absolutely none. Then, here, did you take a shower? Well, yeah, I took a shower. I right, do this. Whatever it is you want to wear, put it on, take another shower. And wash the clothes and yourself at the same time. <laughs> What is our passion? 